Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. All right, so let's talk some author stuff because we've got some similar interests in that. So before we delve into our marketing for middle grade topic, what are some things that you learned writing your first book that you're doing different with your newest? I'm much more aware of what the market is buying. So what kids are actually reading. So I look at this. So I've, I've got like tier one authors that I'm trying to model and see what makes them successful. What is what do they have in their books that I don't have or don't have enough of in mine? And I look at Rick Riordan is hugely popular with all of his series. Brian Johnson is another indie author who wrote The Proto Project, and that book consistently ranks up there in top engineering books for kids. So what I've learned is okay, what do these books have? What do the covers look like? What do my books need to have more of? And I've concluded that mysteries and spy content, those genres sell to middle grade kids. Mystery, adventure, and spy content. So I've got to up the ante in some of that suspense and adventure and conflict. And I've finally figured out what my covers need to look like and I'm really thrilled with the illustrator I have now that's doing my covers. Okay. So you mentioned covers a couple times. What did you do for the first book uh, compared to now? So my coach said, okay, for children's middle grade, it needs to have a cartoony cover. And I, in fact, I loved my first cover. I found the artist on Fiverr. The cover design got done in a week. The book took another year to to edit and finish and before I was ready to release it to the world because I wanted it to live up to the cover. But feedback I got later was, I look at that cover and I think it's going to be a children's picture book. So when I started learning about Tier 1s and really understanding different genres and what the covers looked like, I realized that like the middle grade mystery or the Nancy Drew or the Stephen K. Smith, they are drawn covers, but they are not cartoony. Just understanding that subtlety is okay. It's not a composited picture of a person. Although I've seen some books that really, I can't tell if they're artwork or if they're photograph, but it just, and one of my redesign attempts just was not fun and pleasant. I I went through a company and you're working through a middleman who's farming it out to an artist. And if you've done hardcover and paperback and ebook with hardcover, you've got all this wrap 
around. You've got almost three quarters of an inch that you need to wrap around the case for the binding. So you're, you gotta have extra margin on your artwork and communicating that to the artist. So when she finally fixed it for the hardcover, she fixed it for the paperback. So now I had all that extra margin in the paperback cover. So I just, and there was other stuff going on with my family and health and stuff at the time that I wasn't as effective checking all the files. I thought, okay, she just needed to change one thing. And then I'd go back and start working with the files like, oh, she changed everything. And now this file's wrong. So it made me, unfortunately, too reluctant to tackle the cover redesign because I didn't know where to go. And finally, I got to the point where, okay, I won this award. I have to get a good cover. I have to figure out the cover right. redesign. So I waited too long, but it's done now. So it's a learning process. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you're writing, what software and services do you like to use? Early on, I tried Scrivener and loved it. So I am not a Scrivener pro. I I bought one of those courses to learn Scrivener. And I like it so much more than Word because it lets me write by chapter and reorganize and drag and drop. And both my editors, so I've got a developmental editor and a copy editor, they both use Word. So I still have to export it to Word. I do my ebooks in Vellum. So I'm a Mac user. So I can do the ebook formatting myself. I'm also a longtime Adobe um, suite user. So Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. I've used Photoshop and Illustrator since the early 1990s. And InDesign, I've started using more recently, more like 2017, 2018. But my sister's also in the marketing and editing industry, and she's very proficient with InDesign. So if I need help with tips, she can always help me out. And I've been using it for my dog training clubs newsletter and building my InDesign skills. But basically, I did my own InDesign formatting of book one. And then I got my sister to do book two for me. And she set it up better. And then book three, I was able to do on my own. So I've built my skill base. I I think you and I are pretty similar, not only just writing middle grade, but I did the same thing. I wrote on Word and very quickly discovered, yeah, this isn't going to be tenable for the long haul. I need something different. And that's when I discovered Scrivener. And I sometimes people will say, oh, I tried to use Scrivener. It was so confusing and I didn't get it and blah, blah, blah. And I look at it, I'm like, what do you mean confusing? It, it was super easy and made sense. And I dove right in. So I think it's just a different way people's brains work. I, yeah, and I think... One thing I did that helped me is I did do this course kind of thing, which I went through enough of the videos that made me feel like, okay, I, I know how to set up my my files, my chapters. And the, and you got a choice about how many individual things that you fit it into, but it is absolutely my favorite, my favorite software for writing. And the, the format, you can't do yeah. as much formatting Agreed. in Scrivener as you can with Word. But you can't do that much formatting with vellum either. So if you're doing a very technical document, you got to figure out what can you do through ebook because you don't have all the formats 
all the detail formatting in ebook that you do with right. a print document. And if you really want to get fancy, you can do everything you want to do in InDesign. It's just a matter of what software you're going to use to get the words ready to plug into Vellum or InDesign. Yeah. And all I'm writing is middle grade novels, stories. So I'm not that worried about 300 million formatting options. <laughs> you know, no, it's not going to and... be in the books anyway. No, and that's you're absolutely right. We're not doing science textbooks where we've got lots of equations and tons of figures and everything else. It really it's the story and being able to get illustrations in line. And being a detail-oriented engineer, I quickly came upon a strategy for here's my folder. I'm gonna put I, I do illustrations for my book. So they're not picture books, but because of the projects and some of the design challenges. I do some of my own illustrations where it helps clarify a plot point. And so I do those illustrations myself and I keep them in a folder and then I number them in order and I have the version I have the version for the ebook at lower resolution in color and then I have the version for InDesign which has to be grayscale and can be higher resolution. Manage that with the original format, then the the ebook and the grayscale, and and then I keep track of all that in an Excel spreadsheet. So I track my word count by chapter in Excel spreadsheet, and I also try to track daily how much I'm writing. So I see okay which days I'm writing that helps me maintain momentum and see how much more do I have to write for my kind of word count and a sweet spot target. And then I keep my illustrations in there too. So I can track, okay, which illustrations am I actually using? What's the number? So when I build the files, I can pull the right illustrations in the correct order. Yeah. So since we both have the similar problem, let's define this for people because I hear a lot of people talking about their marketing and their strategies. And there's a lot, and, and it's funny, I, now that I, I've been writing for a while. I don't have a lot out, but I've gotten some things written that I'm getting out. But I, I hear people that are like just sitting down, they have one chapter written and they start, where should I publish this? And what ads should I run? Should I do this type of ad? I'm like, and I understand now I'm like, finish your book without a book. None of this makes sense because six months from now it could change. So now that I'm at the point where things other than writing the book are making a little more sense, I, I've been looking at all these strategies and people are like, well, I recommend Amazon ads and I recommend Kindle Unlimited to get started and then move it wide with draft to digital or this and offer the first book for free and write in a series and this, that, and I'm listening to all this going, okay, okay, great. And it just always didn't feel quite right with some of it, but hey, what do I know? I'm just starting out. What I discovered was almost none of that advice applies to middle grade. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> At all. Yeah. And so other people. E so eBooks in general, I sell more paperbacks, I think, to middle grade because the parents or the grandparents want to give their kids a physical book. And I actually hear that the kids want to read a physical book because if they're on a tablet, people think that they're playing a video game. So they want to be seen as reading. <laughs> So I'd say the Kindle Unlimited or Draft to Digital, I have 
I've never sold a single ebook on Drafted Digital. And then I don't think I've had many Kindle Unlimited page reads either. What Kindle Unlimited will right. do, it gives you five free days uh, every 90 days that you can set your price to free, which if you're asking for launch team reviews, it's much uh, a nicer ask to be able to say, hey, can you download my book for free and leave an honest review and they don't have to pay for it? My first book was I could get down to 99 cents and everybody that reviewed it pretty much paid the 99 cents and bought the book. But the next two books, the file sizes were up and the lowest price I could set them to was $1.99. So setting some free days and asking my team for reviews, that helped me get get some at least minimum number of reviews out. So that, I think, is the biggest plus for Kindle Unlimited for middle grade. However, if you want to do a joint promo with some other authors to build your mailing list and give away a free book, Amazon says, Hey, if you're in Kindle Unlimited, you can't share a digital copy anywhere else. And they say digital. Well, if you look at your ISBN requirements, you need a different ISBN for a PDF versus an ebook versus a paperback or hardcover to, to sell. When my Kindle Unlimited expired on book one and I was planning a joint author promo um, rolling up to Christmas, I felt like okay, I'm squeaky clean because my book one is not in Kindle Unlimited anymore. I can offer free PDF. And I picked up about another 22 or so newsletter subscribers that way. Still baby steps. And and that's, so a lot of those strategies don't work because again, it's different middle grade that most of them aren't on Kindle Unlimited and reading books. And like you said, most of them want uh, something to hold for whatever the reason it's across the board with the younger crowd. So a lot of those strategies don't work whatsoever and people don't get that. And let me just say what got me to have that light bulb moment and realize it was when I fully understood what I was trying to do and that I'm not selling to the end reader. I'm selling to the end reader's parents. So that totally changes how you view any of your marketing. It's really tough because you're not only Okay, so you're marketing to kids, so you have to have a compelling story or plot, but the kids are going to want to read it if if it's given to them. But you first have to get through the gatekeeper barrier of the parent or the grandparent or the uncle or aunt, the person who actually has the money to buy the book. So you've got to pass those hurdles. And then if the kid likes it, they can actually read it. And if you're really lucky and lightning strikes, somebody might actually leave. And and that's the hardest part is uh, getting the kids to be interested and want to mention it. And also having the parents with the checkbooks or, or digital wallets to uh, yeah. know about it. Because kids don't see a, an ad for a book or a flyer and run home and say, I got to have this book. So you got it. It's One- almost a two pronged marketing approach. You have to build awareness with kids and sell it to the parents somehow at the same time. Or teachers, if you can get into schools. There was a podcast or something. I forget which organization did it, but it was from 
a successful author from the Houston, Texas area. And her advice was get into schools, do school visits. Of course, this was pre-COVID. And it's like, if you can get into schools and you can get teachers to be excited about your book, that's a way to get into the hands of students and be recommended to parents. It's just been challenging yes. with COVID, finding the right people to reach out to. I, I did one school visit last year where I knew the teacher and it was wildly successful. So it was a great experience. I did the buoyancy cardboard boat experiment from the second book and had really engaging sessions with four different groups of fourth and fifth graders. So that that really bolstered my ego and feeling like, okay, I've got some content that changed some attitudes with kids where you know, I, I try to make it relevant to them. I focused on the problem solving skills piece and I teed it up with, okay, no matter what your goals are, whether you want to invent or create something new, or if you want to help people live a better life, or if you want to win an Olympic gold medal, learning problem solving skills can help you achieve your goals. And ask some of the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we had some of the jock athletes. And, but one of the things that really made me smile was at the end of the presentation and the experiment, one of the kids came up to me and said, I changed my mind. I want to be you now. So he, <laughs> he wanted to do the design and engineering. Having that connection to the kids, which was really possible because of the school visit, made a huge difference to me. And you need all those small wins to keep going and, and keep learning and keep trying. So what have you been doing for the last year and a half uh, without school visit? I did have one last year. There were some health issues with my family that I don't want to talk about. Like threw me for a loop for a few months. So I got through my commitments with doing some training for Girl Scouts and the school visit. And then I just needed to take a few months off and deal with life. And once I gave my myself permission to do that, I realized that, oh, with all the stress, my weight had gone up, my eating was out the window. I ended up actually joining Noom and focusing on diet to get my weight under control. And I was doing yoga, so I had physical exercise every day, but I, I had a few months of just feeling crappy and no energy. And I dug myself out of that hole and started working on book four. I got back into the group coaching calls and started actively thinking of, okay, what do I want my theme to be for book four? When are we going to be in Hilton Head? When I can, when can I research it? What, how can I use what I've learned since the first three books? And I, with marketing, with one of the masterminds, I was coming up with an idea for a prequel as a lead magnet. And so I dug into this whole backstory for Sam, who's the magic iPad interface, which really is helping to set up some of the plot for book four. So I was working those ideas and working on a cover for the prequel and starting to write and do some illustrations for that. So I wasn't always productive on a daily basis, but I was 
starting to really get a focus for what I wanted book four to be and how I wanted to pivot and make it more fun and entertaining for kids. So I kind of, book four is have a little bit of a flavor of I Dream of Jeannie Meets Man from Uncle while Girl MacGyver saves the baby sea turtles. So she's got all this nice. other crap and secret stuff going on to deal with. So I'm I'm having a lot of fun with book four. Uh, so I do agree with you that getting it in the, the hands of people that can recommend it to others. I know some people have mentioned after school reading groups, they have at libraries and stuff. Have you been able to do anything with libraries? So I haven't tried since COVID, but I'm glad you mentioned that because for even before I started writing, we lost our, our older dogs a couple years ago. But George was a black retriever mix who I had certified as a therapy dog. And we used to do tail wagon tutors at the local library. So that would be where you'd come with your dog and you'd sit down on the ground and the kids would rotate between dogs and they'd bring a book and they would read to the dog. The dog was really a really cool listener and didn't judge their pronunciation. And it made reading more <laughs> motivating for the kid. And during nice. all that tail wagging tutors work, I got introduced to, okay, here's what kids are reading. And here's books about uh, this golden retriever. And here's books about this two cartoon characters, a, a rat and an elephant. And you know, I started thinking, I could write something better than that or as good as that. And when you look at here's what they're reading, it's like, okay, I don't have to be a Nobel Prize winning author to write entertaining children's fiction. And maybe I can change some attitudes with it. So yeah, if if we get through this Omicron stuff, I think I, I need to approach the local library and see about can we do something. I, I have reached out to them, gifted them with a set of my books. And I was able to see that, yeah, they're getting checked out and they've bought more copies. Getting into local libraries has been a goal. I did do hardcover versions last hmm, October, November, and did with did work with an organization that was targeting libraries. And I sold some hardcover books, but I'm not quite to the point where I'm getting lots of orders there. But I, I think the way is really start local and try to do in-person visits. Yeah, I agree. And possibly one of the ideas that's been kicking up in a couple mastermind groups has been going to maybe a local farmer's market. And the trick, now I had some fellow author friends who tried to do something like that. and They sold a few copies of their own book. But some of us sent 10 copies of our books, and they weren't able to sell any of anybody else's. And I hear that can be a mixed bag. But since my books focus on STEM experiments, I was thinking about possibly trying, you know, to attend a few farmers markets this summer and have a different STEM experiment each day. So there's an activity that kids could engage with if they come to my booth. And the goal being just to raise awareness that, hey, I'm a local author. Here's my books. There's some expense there with 
a tent and a banner and some tables and, and hauling some of your books around. But I think with my books and all of them have an experiment, I could do some fun experiments and games that would maybe get some attention and catch some parents' eyes. And maybe they don't bring their kids the first week, but if they know I'm going to be there the next week, maybe they come back and bring their kids. And I've heard several people that do little local things like that, not necessarily a book fair, something that's just local to raise some awareness. Mm -hmm. And it's, I I realize it's, we're experimenting, we're trying different things. And the thing is try something, test it, see what works. Don't bet your retirement money on it, but it's, it's very much, I think, try something, test it and, don't get frustrated if it doesn't catch these. It's all cumulative. Agreed. All right, Marcia, it's been really great uh, hearing about your books and talking to you about some middle grade stuff. So before we <laughs> go, do you have any other uh, last minute advice for new authors? If you want to write, know your why you want to do this, what's important to you, because it is not easy. It can be extremely rewarding, and I am so grateful that I've done this, and and I've got three books out. Set realistic expectations. Understand why you're doing it. If you're doing it to make a lot of money, stop. It it may take five, ten years to get enough books out there and get enough marketing power behind you to start making a profit. So be thoughtful about your goals. What I've heard is it's easiest to get through your first book if it's a passion project. Use it as a learning experience. Don't beat yourself up if it doesn't sell because you've got so much to learn. And the first thing you have to learn is how to publish a book. The next thing you need to learn is how to market your books. And you almost need to have enough understanding about the market and what's selling to make sure you're writing in a genre that can make money. So researching your book topics up front and your keywords and categories can help let you know what's selling, what's not. And if you can, use that research to try to tweak your story so that you can Attract readers who will love your story and want to buy them. But especially if you're doing middle grade, <laughs> cut yourself a break. Be patient with yourself and celebrate the small wins. And I would say for middle grade, I think some of the book awards can be important in providing some credentials. The reader's favorite, you can do a reader's favorite review, uh, which will give you an independent assessment that's not a friend or family of what they think of your book that can make you feel like, okay, did I hit or miss? I had great feedback on my reviews, but one of them was not terribly marketable. So five-star reviews and some really good content, but they recognized that I wasn't really writing to a huge market, not like Rick Riordan, who knows, (laughs) knows how to market his book. And But having some of those credentials, mom's choice, those can help turn somebody 
maybe thinking about your book can help make or break that sale. So having one of those little meatballs on your cover that says Mom's Choice Gold Medal Award or Reader's Favorite Award can help build that social proof, which we really need for the children's book market. Agreed. Great. Well, Marcia, it's been really fun talking to you this afternoon. I appreciate you taking some time to get on uh, and tell us about your books and talk some marketing for middle graders. It's been a lot of fun, Stephen. Thanks again for having me. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.